Let's pray together. Father, it is, it is so good to sing of your mercy and grace, of the work you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord, of your willingness to adopt us into your family, that we might call you our Father. Thank you for this abundant mercy and this abundant grace. Help us now as we continue to worship you. Help us to worship you in accordance with your word as we look at your word. We need your help by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So oftentimes, if not all the times, that a professional team wins a championship, they celebrate by participating in a parade of some sort. So people line the streets in whatever type of weather, hoping to get a glimpse of their, the players that made the championship happen. Um, with all the championships that have taken place in New England over the last 20 years, you'd think that I would have gone to one of these. And uh, unfortunately, the answer to that is I haven't yet. Perhaps, perhaps this next year they might win some other championship and it might attend one of these parades. This, this scene, this atmosphere of celebrating victory, celebrating excellence, is exactly the scene that we encounter in the Gospels when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ entering into the city of Jerusalem with Crowds of people there celebrating him. Now you'll notice in Luke chapter 19 and verse 37, a very clear statement about why this massive group was there. It says in verse 37 of Luke 19, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. And praise God with a loud voice, listen carefully, for all the mighty works that they had seen. They lined the streets to celebrate the arrival of this glorious king because they had seen the marvelous works that he had done. They were celebrating a victorious king. So as we approach this text and this scene of the triumphal entry, we want to first notice the celebration of the king. The scene is laid out very well, and we do not have time to read all of the details because of the uh, time constraints that we have, but in verses 28 through 30, um, there is a procurement of animals, and the disciples in the crowd were demonstrating the celebratory nature of this event, the clothes were strewn in the street before the Lord Jesus. They were placed on the animals, that uh, one of which the Lord Jesus rode on. Palm branches were cut down, and they were waving them and throwing them in the streets. This scene is one of victory, one of submission. This is a, a scene that they're celebrating the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. Now, the term Messiah comes from the Hebrew term Mashiach. It has the idea of being anointed. When we come into the New Testament and transition from the Hebrew language to the Greek language, now we use the term Christos or Christ. Both of them mean 
anointed. And there were three elements, main uh, offices that the uh, were anointed in the Old Testament that would make one a uh, messianic type figure, and that is the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And we find the Lord Jesus to occupy all three of those offices of prophet, priest, and king. The Messiah is entering into Jerusalem, and there is a celebratory scene. They, this happened because they saw the mighty works that he had done. And so he had confirmed the fact that he was the long-awaited Messiah. But there's more to it than just a tangible human experience. What we see in, in Matthew chapter 21 and in Mark chapter 11 and in John chapter 12 as well as in Luke chapter 19, that's right, all four of the Gospels, we see this triumphal entry. And what we have to understand is that this is a divinely appointed time, a divinely appointed event. This did not happen just simply because the people noticed something, just simply because Jesus had proven himself to be so, but God himself ordained the fact that the Lord Jesus would come in in such a way. What I first want you to notice is that Jesus is riding on a donkey. Take a look, please, in the text, down at verse 35 to start. They brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And then we already read verse 37. We have Jesus riding on a donkey. This is not a mistake. This is a divine event. In fact, it was, it was forecast for us in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 9, which says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a divinely appointed event. Jesus humbling himself to ride into Jerusalem on this Donkey. I also want you to notice the proclamation of the crowd. Take a look at verse 38. It says, saying, this group that had gathered, they were rejoicing, and they're saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In Matthew's account, the wording is like this in Matthew 21, 9. Hosanna. Hosanna. To the king of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word has the idea of salvation. Save us, save us. We need a savior, a saving king, a celebrated king, a king with great humility. This is fulfilling the proclamation of the Hallel Psalms. The Hallel Psalms were sung as part of the celebration of the Passover in which they would uh, sing Psalms 113 through 118. And Passover, as you well know, is just a few days away at this triumphal entry. I'd like you to hold your hand here because we're going to come right back. But take a look at Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And I want you to have, if you would, something that you can place in your Bibles at Psalm 118 because we're going to look here a couple of different times. 
Now, remember what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the celebrated king. Yes? Okay, that's, that's easy. And we're talking about the fact that he's not celebrated just because he won the crowds over. We're celebrating the king. They're celebrating the king because it was a divinely appointed event. We see it in Zechariah 9.9. He's riding it on a donkey. Here in Psalm 118, that they would be intimately aware of as they were coming to celebrate the Passover, there's another element of this that we have to see. Verses 24, Psalm 118, verse 24, right down to verse 26. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Listen to what he says. Save us, Hosanna, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You see the the proclamation of the crowd being in fulfillment of Psalm 118. This is exactly what was intended. This is exactly the Lord's will. This is exactly fulfilling the mandates for the Messiah's entrance into Jerusalem. This is not just men coming on board because they saw the mighty works. That is a factor, but it's a divinely appointed event. Jesus, Jesus is fulfilling the word of his father. Notice this as well. Jesus' declaration of the necessity of the moment. Take a look back in Luke 19. Remember I told you to hold your hand here. We're going to go back to Psalm 118 in a little bit. But Luke chapter 19 again. Look at verses 39 and 40. Jesus is declaring the necessity of this moment. The Pharisees see this ruckus event. They see the 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 parade, as it were, lining the streets, and they're, they're, they're all up in arms. This is not a celebration that we should be involved in. And so they say this in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, This is happening whether you like it or not. This is divinely appointed. Next, as we follow this a little further, we want to notice Jesus' declaration of this specific timing. Verse 41. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city... Hang on a second, stop. Before you read the next words, what's happening right now? The streets are lined, the clothes are strewn, the palm branches are waving and thrown, submission and victory and celebration. Jesus looks at the city and he says, this is going great, raise up my championship trophy, look, we did it, we did it Adrian, we did it. None of this. Jesus looks over the city and he weeps. He weeps over the city, and he says this, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Look down at verse 44. He, he speaks of the fact that they will be torn to the ground. The stones will be torn to the ground, and you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because you did not know, listen, the time, the time of your visitation, the time when God 
visited you when God came to save you, when God came to provide for you and to give to you what you needed, God came and you didn't want him. Oh, wait a second. This is the celebration section. He comes in as the celebrated king. And the reason they're celebrating is because God appointed this day. And I want you to think about this. The magnitude of this divinely appointed celebration was the accelerator of the opposition of the religious crowd. And the result of this was a divinely appointed crucifixion. So we move from a divinely appointed celebration to a divinely appointed crucifixion as we look at the suffering of the Savior. The suffering of the Savior. You can hear the tension mounting in the voice of the Pharisees in verse 39 and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why are you celebrating? And so, why are the Pharisees doing this? Well, let's take a look, please. Look at John chapter 12. You're just taking the right to the next book over to your right. Take a look at John chapter 12. This is John's rendition of the triumphal entry. We're only going to read just the tail end of it, verses 17 through 19. The religious crowd was feeling the pressure of Jesus' divine demonstration. Listen to what John pens. Verse 17 of John 12, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. You hearing this? I saw that one on that donkey raise a man to life that had been dead for four days. So the crowds are gathering. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that, they are gain that you are gaining nothing? Look, look, the whole world has gone after him. Well, God had something else that he knew about this. The Pharisees are all up in arms. They're very upset. This is accelerating their plan to put an end to the celebration of Jesus and to put an end to Jesus altogether. Take a look back in Psalm 118. See, God knew all of this all along because God planned this all along. In Psalm 118, look at verses 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is, what does it say? The Lord's doing. Oh boy, I felt like that would have had much more dramatic effect. Let's try this again. Ready? 22. We'll start with. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is, say it with me, the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. It's no mistake. There's no mistake that there is a transition from celebration, the parade, the champion, I heard what you did, to a transition to Jesus being brought before human authority and ultimately being crucified. 
Peter says it this way in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. You'll see this on the screens to my left and right. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So God first takes credit and then he issues blame. Right? I have decided this. This is going to happen. But you did it. It's pretty interesting. We are we're familiar with what happens through the week. As the week unfolds, Jesus continues to demonstrate his divine nature and his divine mission. This is clear. He sets aside the foolish questions of the opponents. And then they conspire to take him out. Take a look at John chapter 10 for a moment. Back in the Gospel of John now. John chapter 10. We're noticing the celebration and the suffering of our king, the celebration of the king, the suffering of our savior, but we're, we're noticing the responsibility of man. They didn't know the time, but we're also noticing the appointment of God. This is the time, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the Lord's doing, it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the definite plan and purpose of God. This will happen, it was going to happen. There was no stopping this plan. As we think about Jesus and his suffering, Jesus makes very clear statements about who was in control of that suffering and who was in control of his death. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, listen, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, the, the celebration was divinely appointed, and the suffering was divinely appointed, and Jesus willingly, willingly laid his life down. Because this is what was necessary to obtain sons of God. Because of our sinfulness and our rebellion and our wickedness, we cut ourselves off from a holy God. We cannot rise up to the righteous standard of the Lord. So God meets that righteous standard all on his own through the person of Jesus Christ, provides us with eternal righteousness and forgiveness of sin as he lays his life down on a cross. This was to fulfill God's eternal purposes and specific prophetic revelations from the Old Testament. Now we turn our attention back in the book of Luke, chapter 19. We turn our attention to the conquering king. The conquering king. Luke chapter 19. We only just have a couple of moments to touch on this before we conclude this portion of our worship. The conquering king. In John 9, uh, excuse me, Luke 19, 42 through 44, Jesus 
is about to talk about a judgment that would come to the unbelieving nation due to their rejection of the king. Listen to what he says, or the Bible says, beginning in verse 41 again. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The celebration of the king proved to be phony, didn't it? This is why Jesus was weeping, and this is why Jesus speaks of their imminent destruction. It looks as though the whole world is going after him, John 12, 19, you remember that? But it was only a mirage. So the celebrated king became the suffering savior, but he will return in a much different way. In Jesus' first advent, he came as a lamb. Oh, wait, wait, the, the lamb. The lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. In his second advent, when he comes again, he will come as a lion. He will come and he will conquer the enemies of his father. And he will come and conquer the enemies of his bride, his people, the church. No one will mistake his identity at his second coming. They will see him. He will come and he will defeat the enemy of our souls. That is the devil. Just one reference of scripture because that's all we have time for. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, and I chose the reading from the New King James because it, I think, displays it very clearly. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Jesus is going to come again and he is going to defeat those that oppose God and those that oppose God's people. This is a sure event. It is a divinely appointed visitation. At that point, I'm going to use the famous words of John Madden, the horse will be out of the barn. He would make that statement in the midst of a game that had turned into a blowout. One team is just annihilating the other. And he would just say, the horse is out of the barn. It means closing the door now is too late. There's no turning back. Jesus came and visited already for the salvation of the souls of men. When he comes back a second time, he will come and he will come in judgment. And my friend, the horse will be out of the barn. It will be too late. He will not come for salvation the second time. 
He will come in judgment. Let me ask you a question. Have you trusted Jesus Christ to save you? Oh, yes. Hosanna. Oh, I've heard those words before. It's not about a proclamation. It's not about a, a saying some specific words. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know that he is your only, only, only hope of eternal salvation? Has he saved you from your wretchedness, from your wickedness, from your evil, from your sin? Has God blotted away every one of your transgressions and given to you Jesus' righteousness? This is what's needed, my friend. This is what is needed for you and I to be the ones who are rejoicing at the second advent. To be saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is only truly your proclamation. If you've come to the place where you see yourself as a sinner and you've said, this isn't working out, I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus for my salvation. Have you trusted Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Have you trusted Jesus Christ to provide you with a sure entrance into heaven? Do not miss the day of your visitation. <clears throat> the visitation right now is a visitation of salvation. The visitation to come, if you do not embrace Jesus as your Savior, will be for your judgment. That's our charge for anyone who has never trusted Christ. But what about the rest of us who truly shout out, Hosanna, Lord, save us, save us. And you recognize your desperate need. You've asked the Lord to save you. And you know that he saved you. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. What is what is our response to this? I might ask us to consider, if you think about your home, I'm not talking about just like the walls and the floor and the ceiling. I'm talking about your home life. Is Jesus reigning as king in your home? We're celebrating him. But don't, don't prove to be a phony. How about in your workplace? Does Jesus reign over you as king when you go to work from whatever time you leave till whatever time you return? Does Jesus reign as king over you in your work? Is Jesus reigning as king or preeminent over your life? This is our responsiveness. As we think about, I, I would be one. I would want to be one of those people on the side of the road, right? Throwing my clothes on the ground, waving my palm branch, saying, you're the king, save us, blessed are you, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I, I want to be one of those. But I want it to be real and genuine, because I want him to be Lord of all.
This is one, as we think about all these things and what Jesus has come, one of the amazing, amazing truths of the gospel is that the gospel teaches us that our judge came into the world to meet the demands of the law. The gospel teaches us that our judge laid down his life in our place to take the penalty for our sin. The gospel teaches us that God the Father has accepted the sacrifice of the Lamb of God to take away my sin as a sufficient payment for my sin. The gospel calls us to repent and to believe in the work of Jesus Christ as all, as all that God requires for salvation. Have you believed? This is the celebration that we're about to enjoy together. The celebration of the Lord's table is all about recognizing the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Savior. All of it. It's not just about the Friday through Sunday and it's not just about the Friday. It's about the entirety of Jesus' earthly life and really the eternal purposes of God. So we're talking about a celebration that spans eternity. God planned this from before the foundation of the world and there is a coming day when we will celebrate this with him. We're going to pray and then we're going to transition our time into our celebration of the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us now as we consider this supper that you have called us to enjoy. You've called us to remember. You've called us to reflect and to examine ourselves. And you've called us to proclaim it in our participation. Work in our lives now, in Jesus' name.